hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Fully Automated, an Occupy IR Theory podcast. We've been away for a while, uh, had a lot of things going on these last few months, some teaching, some conference travel, some writing deadlines, and actually some other stuff that I can't really say much about right now, but I do have some big news coming uh, later this year, and I hope to be able to share that with you uh, in the next couple of months. But in the meantime, it's time to get a little work done for uh, this show. And today we have our first ever two-part episode. Uh, Joining me for this episode are a couple of friends of mine from Columbus, Ohio, uh, Charlie Umland and Jim Calder. And we are going to get into some discussion about situationism. Well, what the hell is situationism, you might be asking. I'm going to have Charlie and Jim give you a detailed answer to precisely that question in just a moment. But just to give a little context for this conversation uh, today, uh, a few months back, basically, I think sort of middle of last year, um, I was sort of feeling a little lost and adrift in the uh, political universe. And uh, let's face it, I suppose who isn't feeling that way right now, but Charlie and Jim were, were kind enough to invite me to join Uh, a Tuesday night reading group that they hold, um, usually focusing on situationist texts. And uh, I admit it, I I was a little hesitant at first to accept their invitation. Not that I didn't like them, they're great guys, but uh, I, I, I didn't know much about situationism and the bit that I did know had left me kind of suspicious. After all, these were the French intellectuals who had been involved in the student uprising of May 1968, the uprising that in many ways signaled the arrival of the new left, uh, that is, a left that was so disgusted by the transgressions of the Soviet Union that it would forgo altogether uh, the strategy of gaining state power, preferring instead uh, something like a more exclusively prefigurative or horizontalist approach and thereby trying to wage their revolutionary struggle in the interstices of everyday life at the expense of everything else. And to be honest, it it left me a little cold. It, it seemed too uh, resonant with uh, contemporary dynamics and patterns on the so-called campus left. So at least that was my sort of uh, initial reaction. But in truth, I did actually know very little about the situationists. Uh, yeah, I'd heard about Guy Debord uh, easily, uh, the most famous of the situationists. And I had, in fairness, fumbled my way through his book, uh, Society of the Spectacle, uh, back in grad school. And I suppose that based on that, uh, I did have this image in my head of a community of vaguely Marxist, vaguely artistic scholars committed to this activism of everyday life. But the the truth is, and I really do have to thank Charlie and Jim for this, apart from that one book, I didn't really know what I was talking about. I didn't know how deep the writings went, and I certainly had no idea how much of it is available online for free. But last year, coincidentally, uh, Situationism came back on the radar, um... And, of course, the uh, the reasons are deeply connected with the election of Donald Trump in, in February 2017. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes. 
Uh, the New York Times ran a piece by Robert Zaretsky on situationism and uh, and the Trump presidency. And in this piece, Zaretsky offers this very uh, situationist-sounding line. Uh, he says, Like body snatchers, commodities and images have hijacked what we once naively called reality, the authentic nature of the products we make with our hands and the relationships we make with our words have been removed, replaced by their simulacra. So Charlie and Jim and I are going to get back to this piece later in the episode, but just by way of introducing the basic problem that we are going to try to take on here, I think it's important to know just this this key idea that Zaretsky's putting forward, this idea that we live in a society dominated by simulacra or that the the image uh, itself as a form has hijacked our reality. Uh, Focusing on the image um, as the problem in this way, Zaretsky's situationists resonate somewhat with the postmodern cynicism of another French scholar contemporary to Debord um, by the name of Jean Baudrillard. Now, Baudrillard doesn't refer to something called a spectacle, but he certainly does use the word simulacra quite a lot. Um, He builds his critique of contemporary capitalism around the concept of something called hyperreality, where humans really have been seduced into a state of passive consumption. Uh, For Baudrillard, where older modes of capitalism were predicated on production, society today is nothing more than a simulation. We are a consumer society, but what we consume is nothing more than signs or symbols. And even resistance in this uh, regime has kind of dissipated into its own specific kind of moral relativism. We don't fight anymore for a particular group. Uh, Baudrillard frames this in terms of a code. Uh, Instead, we adopt the stance of ironic fascination. So, interestingly, we uh, recently came across a great example of this kind of fascination that Baudrillard's talking about, uh, what we might even call flannerism. Um, recently, we, we watched this documentary by Adam Curtis called Hypernormalization. And there's this scene uh, with a young Patti Smith in this, uh, in the early, in the opening parts of this documentary. Uh, and you see Patti Smith giggling at the sight of poor people watching movie trailers uh, on a TV screen outside a cinema. And she's gazing on this with kind of like a critical irony, but not necessarily particularly moved by the situation. And what I think you're going to get from Charlie and Jim in this show is an argument, actually, that this is kind of the wrong normative upshot to take from situationism. The society of the spectacle is much more than simply a critique of seduction. The theory of the spectacle is not uh, simply that we have been reduced to the status of a mass of consumers or that we are distracted uh, by the ongoing barrage of the media's meaningless images. To the contrary, a key concept that has come up for us in our various discussions is that of separation, which is something like alienation, I guess, an alienation experienced by everyday people, not just in capitalism, but also in other 
highly bureaucratized technical systems like, for example, that of the Soviet Union in their own time, when rationalities of expertise work and function to delegitimize any claim that the people themselves might make to be allowed to participate in democratic decision-making about their own fates. And it is in this sense, I think, that the society of the spectacle is actually uh, still very much a Marxist project, insofar as it talks a lot about the proletariat as this subject whose interests have yet to be taken care of, uh, uh, as this subject, uh, the theory for whom uh, has yet to be invented. And so it's in this sense uh, that we, we, we sort of push back on the cynicism of these kinds of more postmodern takes. Uh, our situationists are situationists that are very, very different to, um, to, to, to the one you encounter in the New York Times. So a little bit about our guests today. Both are from Ohio. Uh, Charlie Umland uh, is a cook. He likes to learn uh, about art and philosophy and communism, and he's an unapologetic Dungeons & Dragons player. Uh, that's on him. Uh, Jim Calder, for his part, works in the public humanities. Uh, he's a historian. He supports uh, the radical critique of everyday life, mostly through participating in reading groups, and he also loves smoking cigarettes. And also, I think, a word of thanks is due to our producer for this show, Darren Latanik, who uh, really was a trooper, set up all the gear for us, and patiently ran the soundboard for what ultimately ended up being a massive two-and-a-half-hour recording session. Uh, so we've broken this down into two parts. In the first part of the show, you're going to hear us outline some of the basic ground that, that we want to cover uh, so this episode, you'll hear us talk about separation, uh, the contrast with Baudrillard and the postmodernists, the, the, the role of theory in the situationists' normative framework, the attitude of the situationists towards modernity and their faith in the emancipatory potential of technology. Uh, but keep an eye out. Next week, I'll be dropping part two, uh, where we look at the situationists in a more activist light. We'll talk about their role in the events of May 1968 their attitude towards the Soviet invasion of Czechoslovakia, uh, some of their scattered commentaries on war, and the question of what, if anything, uh, Guy Debord might have to say about Jordan Peterson. But here now to lead us in is a bit of Patti Smith, uh, a bit of dialogue from Patti Smith clipped from the Adam Curtis documentary, Hypernormalization. The radicals and the left-wingers, who 10 years before had dreamt of changing America through revolution, did nothing. They had retreated and were living in the abandoned buildings in Manhattan. The singer Patti Smith later described the mood of disillusion that had come over them. I could not identify with the political movements any longer, she said. All the manic activity in the streets. In trying to join them, I felt overwhelmed by yet another form of bureaucracy. What she was describing was the rise of a new powerful individualism that could not fit with the idea of collective political action. Instead, Patti Smith and many others became a new kind of individual radical who watched the decaying city with a cool detachment. They didn't try and change it, 
They just experienced it. Look at that. Isn't that cool? I love that where like kids write all over the walls. That to me is neater than any art sometimes. Jose and Maria forever. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of things like when you pass by big movie houses, maybe we'll find one. But they have little movie screens where you can see clips of like Z or something like that. People watch it over and over. I've seen people, I've checked them out all day. I've gone back and forth and they're still there watching the credits of a, of a movie because they don't have enough dough, but it's some entertainment, you know. Instead, radicals across America turned to art and music as a means of expressing their criticism of society. They believed that instead of trying to change the world outside, the new radicalism should try and change what was inside people's heads. And the way to do this was through self-expression, not collective action. Okay, welcome everyone. We got Jim Calder. Hi, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing well. We got Mr. Charlie Umland over here. Hi, Jim. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the show, lads. Well, thanks. Um, we have been doing this Situationism reading group for a few months now, and uh, the two of you have been pretty deep readers of Situationist texts for quite a long time, I think. You know, I'm somewhat still new to this, having maybe read the Society of the Spectacle somewhere in my grad school days, but you, you guys have like been active participants in this literature for a couple of years now, I think. Um, uh, a little over a year, I think, we've been yeah. we've been reading this stuff seriously uh, and, and discussing it in depth, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, well, I'm not sure uh, the extent to which you can say there is... Um, you know, a, a stereotype of situationism floating out there in the world. But I think one thing that's become very clear for me, having spent time with you in the last few months doing our Tuesday reading groups, is um, that you have a kind of a unique take on it. Um, you know, that you've gone into the depths of situationism, you've done the detailed work, and you have a, a kind of a, a take, a unique take maybe, um, in comparison to the broader uh, perception. Uh, later on in this hour, we're going to be talking about the recent New York Times piece that um, sort of sets up uh, a situationism as kind of like um, a, a preoccupation with, you know, a barrage of images and a seduction of images. And this is really definitely not your take of situationism. And I think myself, I might have been a victim of that account for a period of time, you know, sort of maybe conflating situationism with postmodernists like Jean Baudrillard, whatever. Um, but uh, what I think is very clear is that, uh, you know, we, we can all agree these guys were um, active, you know, in, in the late 1968 period. They were instrumental to the emergence of the new left. Um, they have a critique of bureaucratization also, like not just anti-capitalist maybe, but also um, you know, taking a pretty strident stance uh, against um, Soviet politics. But maybe just to sort of like try to start by unpacking some of these initial terms, um, what is situationism to you both? And why does situationism matter, I think, today? Well, I, I can say, Nick, that I certainly, you know, fell into the same trap a long time ago. I, I think when I reread Society of the Spectacle more recently, I was like, how did I get it so wrong? Mm, because right. I, I think there's yeah. a lot of people say, it's a great book. There's a lot of great one-liners in it. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's provocative. And there's a lot that sort of resonates, especially about things like media, or especially, um, 
you know, mass media as an emerge. And, and, and it seems even now with like the internet and things like that, like it seems like even more. But when I reread the book, I, I certainly almost immediately realized that I it totally wrong and, and totally was sort of thinking it as like this preoccupation with things like media when it's much, much deeper. And so I think that was really exciting, uh, which led me to sort of, re, you know, read more. Um, the fact that Ken Nab has put so many of the writings online for free as well, it's been really great. So, so it was something that was available to really dig into. And that's kind of how I got started. Um, yeah, right. Uh, you know, we were uh, reading the Society of the Spectacle together, like chapter by chapter, mm. and, and talking about it. And um, we both sort of found that the way that we expected it to go isn't the way that the book really develops the ideas that it, it comes from. Mm. And I think um, what, what uh, the Situationists were, were really uh, doing was kind of like picking up where Marx left off and saying like, you know, no, um, commodification uh, has sort of crept from whatever to the the economy into every aspect of our lives and, and every ac- aspect of our lives are sort of uh, subsumed inside of this this uh, this economy. Um, so so I, I think like that perspective is really different than the media critique perspective, mm-hmm. which which uh, kind of says like, well, you know, media is just uh, a lie or it sensationalizes everyday life or something like that. Mm-hmm. This this says like, you know, the problem really uh, comes down to just the incredible pr- proliferation of images you get from um, from the, the, you know, the same old quantity over quality thing that we know that capitalism is uh, so notorious for, for uh, pushing. Well, I think, you know, uh, a lot of listeners are going to be familiar with certain terms that come out of situationism because they've, you know, become part of the vernacular. Uh, notions like the spectacle, maybe even notions like detournement. Um, I think we're going to talk about many of those concepts as we go through our uh, show tonight. But um, I think before we go any further, I do want maybe to pause and ask you guys about a particular concept that I've noted comes up frequently in our conversations, and that's the concept of separation. Now, in some translations... Um, of situationist work, this term um, gets written down as alienation. Um, so maybe there's something at stake in the way the term is used there, the, the, the variation between the two translations. But the title of chapter one of Society of the Spectacle is Separation Perfected. And in chapter one, we find such lines as the tendency towards the specialization of images of the world finds its highest expression in the world of the autonomous image, where deceit deceives itself. So, uh, we are led to believe the spectacle is a world where the relation between life and the image has been inverted. But there is this, I think, risk here that we read the spectacle as kind of just a more convoluted way of saying what Marshall McLuhan and people like that had already said um, about, um, you know, the medium being the message. This is not a mediated determinism or a technological determinism uh, where the image has somehow hijacked the world. Neither is it the colonization of our collective brains by fancy packaging or seductive advertising, these sorts of things. It's n- Neither is it it's fair to say that we're living merely in the age of the soundbite news media. Um, right. 
Instead, I think it's to say something about what Debord comes back to, I think, many times, which is social praxis. That is this idea that somehow, imminent to society itself, um, we have found ourselves living in a particular age within capitalism, right, that has its own rationality, a rationality which negates life and uh, basically sort of equates to a kind of a, a, a subsumption of life itself within a capitalist rationality or a capitalist mode of governance. Um, so there seems to be two things that actually emerge here that are central to the spectacle that are not generally discussed in in the sort of common uh, assessments of, of, of this work. that One is economic society and the relation of economic society to the image. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And that's, that's the danger of sort of thinking this as just media or packaging or something. The, uh, the economic structure is, is key to this. And not just the, you know, it's very clear critiques of um, Soviet structure within within society of the spectacle too so it's not even just the um capitalist structure we're living in it's it's sort of everything and and the idea is that when he says that uh you know capitalism or or the side of the spectacle is a tautology that's sort of what he's getting at like mm -hmm. like it produces images that reinforce itself in like a kind of never-ending cycle um and these images are are generally the the reasoning why our economy is the way it is right at the same at the same time the spec the the spectacle itself functions in the same basic way as the economy where it's uh it's both the means and the end it, itself which is the way capital flows and this, this the spectacle sort of mirrors that but how, how did we so, get to this point, guys? I mean, so, like, obviously capitalism in Marx's time was producing something called a commodity, and you could kind of weigh it, you could carry it in your hands, you you know, it, it, it evolved everything from a bushel of wheat to various kinds of widgets. Today, right. you know, obviously the image is very, very central to what we're talking about mm -hmm. here. So, so how has the image become a commodity, or what has the arrival of the image done to the commodity form? Well, we can read it... Uh, uh, st straight from uh, Society of the Spectacle, if you guys want to. Mm -hmm. Please do. Um, so in Thesis 42, uh, which is in Chapter 2, it says, The spectacle is the stage at which the commodity has succeeded in totally colonizing social life. Commodification is not only visible, we no longer see anything else. The world we see is the world of the commodity. Modern economic production extends its dictatorship both extensively and intensively. In the less industrial industrialized regions, its reign is already manifested by the presence of a few star commodities and by the imperialist domination imposed by the more industrially advanced regions. Um, in the latter, social space is blanketed, and this is uh, what we're talking about here, with every new, uh, ever new layers of commodities. With the second industrial revolution, alienated consumption has become as much a duty for the masses as an alienation uh, as alienated production. The society's entire sold labor has become a total commodity whose constant turnover must be maintained at all costs. To, accomplishment, to accomplish this, the, this total commodity has to be uh, returned in fragmented form to fragmented individuals who are completely cut off from the overall operation of the productive forces. To this end, the specialized science of domination is itself broken down into further specialties such as sociology, 
psychotechnology, cybernetics, and semiology, which oversee the self-regulating of uh, regulation of every phase of the process. So I think this kind of uh, this passage does a good job of kind of explaining how the the commodity has sort of moved in into our lives and just completely taken over. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it, it and 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 then he talks about uh, uh, separation, which is kind mm -hmm. of uh, uh, what the original question was, right? Yeah, separation is separation. kind of how this is, yeah. uh, you know, an understanding of how this is accomplished, and it has to do also with. I, I think maybe this is a good time to throw in the. I should look for the quote, but when he he basically says that, you know, in the society of the spectacle, commodity value, exchange value has completely usurped use value. At this point, right. So, and then that also, you know, ties back to this idea of separation. And separation is is really in the its most basic form, like the idea of alienation or abstraction. That we live in this world of abstractions. So they've become more real than the actual mm -hmm. reality we live in. Right. Um, especially as far as the way that sort of the world moves and what, what sort of runs the world, how history moves, things like that. So, we're you know living in the sense where just the 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 pure abstract values of things is, is what's what's moving not not even any sort of use value or um, anything like that so that's where the that's sort of a I think a good way to to lead into separation a good way to think about separation um, that difference between use and exchange value is a, is a good example of that and now that that's sort of totally totally ubiquitous everywhere and then right, nothing has a use value anymore. It's only sort of exists as exchange value, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, especially in the way that the economy works. Because right. of course, in real life, like we experience uses of things, but that's not what sure. runs, uh, you know, the production cycle. You know, all these sort of um, all these sort of ridiculous things we see in capitalist society, from the fact that we have to keep building homes and there's homeless people and no one's even in there. Just the, the over over production. Um, Consumption of things that that you know don't make you happy, things like that. I mean, how many how many times do we read like the article about like wow, like being on social media all the time could be really bad for your mental health, but yet we still are on there. We're sort of compelled to. Well, sure, because you know. this is because it has to produce it. There's no there's no you know there's no way to produce things for for use anymore. Right, consumption is contingent on production, right? Like mm -hmm. That's what, where, uh, how the field of consumption is organizes mm -hmm. originally in production. Um, which, you know, when they say that the spectacle is life turns on its head, I mean, it, the relationship between uh, use value and exchange value can almost be kind of like reduced all the way back down to that. Yeah. Um, where uh, instead of... Uh, seeing our lives holistically as this as as uh and our relationships with each other socially mm -hmm. we see everything as levers to get what we want uh uh get rich and mm -hmm. uh, and and uh and the very focus of our daily lives isn't isn't to meet our needs meet each other's needs it's it's just to trade things with each other for some you know eventual future gain or some uh or to meet our immediate immediate mm -hmm. needs and, and I think those, these are all sort of common things that, you know, people critique of capitalism. Sure. I think one of the things I was really impressed with reading reading things like the Society of the Spectacle is... is and the whole SI, uh, and whole the, whole SI, SI like the French uh, journals especially. Yeah, is the, you know, the depth that they're able to take that concept. You know, when, the, when they talk about, um, 
side of the spectacle again like like leaving it to just advertising or something is, is totally misguided it, it, like they're talking about a you know an ontological understanding of our society like our society all the way down at this point is sort of driven by this uh commodification and so you can't just you know look at one piece here one piece there like you have to take it in a holistic level mm. I kind of want to um, push you guys a little bit more on this. Um, obviously, separation is a hugely important uh, concept. Obviously, it's not a concept that's necessarily the first thing that people touch on or land on when they think about uh, situationists. But, um, you know, one of the things that we did as a group recently was watch uh, the Adam Curtis documentary, Hyper Normalization. And um, I think a scene that made an impression on all of us was patty smith's uh sort of appearance at the at the early on in the documentary where she's kind of giggling ironically at the sight of economically marginal people um standing outside the front of a cinema watching the trailers play over and over and she's like huh you know it's a I guess it's a little bit of entertainment in their lives sure god kind of a god love them kind of attitude um but, um, you know, it seems to be a really good example right there of, like, like her kind of uh, cynicism, um, her fatalism almost, seems to be a really good example of what the spectacle is trying to argue. And the concept of separation is, in a sense, that it's intended to sort of suggest that we are cut off from any kind of sense of our capacity to make a principled political stand in the world. And so, you know, it, it's not for nothing then that Society of the Spectacle isn't just an ironic take on, like, again, to go back to the idea of Baudrillard for a second, you know, like, it's not just a fatalistic kind of assessment or an irony-laden assessment of living in this world of images, you know, it's not for nothing that the term proletariat comes up again and again in Society of the Spectacle there are tasks that must be taken up here, there are strategic questions that must be addressed, there's a theory that has yet to be developed. Um, thesis right. 114 in Society of the Spectacle talks about the universal wrong of our exclusion from life. Um, and I think that it's this question of exclusion that's central to understanding why the image is pivotal here. The image is not something that's brainwashed us. No. The no. image is actually, what it is is sloppy seconds. Right. We, right? It's, it's, what we're, it's the crumbs from the table that we get, um, the, the, what, what we might call, if we were to sort of invoke Spinoza, the, the, the lesser joys, the minor joys, right. it's, it's, when we could have so much more. Right, it's where we can experience like uh, self-fulfillment and self-determination in this narrow sort of sphere. Yeah. Of of uh, whatever freedom of choice, uh, you know, or something like that. Um, when when really what we should be doing is talking about uh, what what we can do to take take control of the situation, take control of of history, and and uh, and uh, and change the world. Right? There's there's no point of it in understanding it if if, if uh, it stops there. Like the whole point is to is to is it's not just about making a principled stand we see people do that all the time and it doesn't do anything it's it's to it's to take action and uh i think uh a big part of uh separation uh fills all these all these multiple uh, uh it means all these multiple things depending on the context that we're that the that the situations are talking about it in i think like uh for we talk about the proletariat separation um 
between all these different uh, groups and sections of the proletariat um, and uh, and organizations and sects within the proletariat. Like these are the separations that hmm. that that hide the unity of of the 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 main base of working uh, people in the world. Right? It's it's uh, it appears uh, completely fractured when in reality uh, our, our interests are quite unified. Um, and the spectacle itself is uh, uh, quite unified, but, uh, or quite, uh, appears quite fragmented, but it really has this total unity uh, that sub- subsumed everything. Does that? that? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think, um, well, first I would say we have been dragging Patty Smith through the mud a lot type of normalization. <laughs> well, you know which is, uh, but but she does. She represents She comes I, off as terrible in that. I, I think there's I think there's two things there. I think on the one side, you know, you see the people who have retreated. Um so, so we all know politics like people know politics isn't working, right? Like mm-hmm. it's it's very clear. Um and so people sort of they either retreat back into themselves in this kind of Patty Smith individualism where it's just like, oh, I'm just going to live, you know, in my whatever. Try to express myself a little bit. I'm going to try and express myself and then, um, and then look at, you know, the, it's kind of this flannerism, right? It's yeah, like it's this idea exactly of like, you know, I'm just going to be a spectator of this, yeah. uh, this, this, you know, terrible irony. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This, this human, this, 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 <laughs> yeah. this spectacular fall of the human accident, you know, right? Yeah, so you have that side. And then you have other people who are just very like, you know, people are, are so like cynical now. Um, well, but, but what I think the implication of the situationists are like, yes, clearly... Clearly, the politics we get is is just an image reflecting to us. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not even really how. I mean, it's it's hardly even. It's there. Are, there are consequences, of course, to political decisions. Right. Um, so you don't want to go so far to say that there's not. But on the other hand, we all sort of know like that's not where power is really really functioning in that way. The like the Barack Obama could be a great guy, but he's not necessarily going to be able to actually change the things he said. I mean, do we even believe, like, a, a president's going to be able to change things? We all sort of know this isn't true. So right. people retreat to, you know, either a, a individualism, flaneur, stuff like that, or or they retreat to, like, uh, a cynicism. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, who, who read something like the Society of the Spectacle are like, oh, it's really depressing. Mm-hmm. They take this wrong message like, oh, it means there's nothing we could do. It's all right. around us. You yeah. know? Well, if anything, and it's like, a- no, that's totally wrong. They, they're they trying right. to give you a way out of this. They're trying to show you that, yeah. like, yeah, yeah. okay, politics aren't, politics aren't working. Well, politics are just an image anyways. We, sh- we should be doing something else. Mm. Now, certainly, like, what we do is something that they try and flesh out and something that they had a, you know, a lot of... I don't say trouble with, but they were constantly searching and working that out. I don't think they have all the answers there, but they at least will say, you know, we're not going to spend our time, or at least all of our time, working against, you know, this thing that we know isn't really real. Well, or not real. That's a, that's the wrong way to say it. But right, right. No, you're saying it right. Um, and and or retreating to the cynicism, like. Well, I, I think cynicism is a is something that uh, plays a huge part. Uh, if you look through the situationist, uh, all the uh, the journal articles and stuff, you see that cynicism plays a huge part in how the spectacle and all the ideologies that sort of uh, that sort of uh, kind of cluster uh, within it. Uh, cynicism is a huge part of how this functions. Um, Absolutely, you know, in, in basic banality, uh, which I think is an issue uh, seven. 
Vanagheim's uh, writing about, uh, it's like the very first sentence, right? He says like, he says capitalist society basically has has taken what Marx says and said, yeah, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Like this is all about exploitation. We're all yeah. participating and we're all exploited under this system. This is how it works. And basically just says that to everyone and everyone says like, okay, yeah, we agree. Um, because it's human capital. I mean, this is the right. sort of core concept of neoliberalism. Right. And they're kind of seeing this even before neoliberalism is a thing that actually Absolutely. we now live in an ideological moment where we where we kind of celebrate it as a some sort of like a masculine virtue or something like yeah you know i'm you know i'm, I'm ready to be exploited here i mean like i'm all, i'm like <laughs> right, exactly, i'm embracing yeah. i'm embracing my exploitation right. because i know it's if it doesn't kill me it's going to make me stronger sure, or can, something yeah time to drive for uber right yeah yeah but uh here's the quote if you guys want to hear it please sure yeah so uh it says bureaucratic capitalism has found its legitimization in marx not referring here to the orthodox market uh marxism uh dubious merit of having reinforced the neo-capitalist structures whose present reorganization is implicit is an implicit homage to the Soviet totalitarianism. I'm stressing right. the extent to which crude versions of Marx's most profound analysis of alienation have become generally recognized as the most commonplace realities. Realities which, stripped of their magical veil and materialized in each gesture, become the sole substance, substance of daily lives of an increasing number of people. So, here this is what he's saying. Yeah. He's saying, like, Capitalism has basically said, like, you know, that exploitation is the basic foundation of our society. Uh, but what are you going to do? Vote for a third party? Yeah, right. Or something like that, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, obviously, and like people really fall into that, right? They're of like, course, they're like, oh man, yeah, I can't even vote for a third party, and no, like, I mean, maybe someday a third party will come by and save us or something. And it's like, I mean, obviously, you're never going to be able to vote for the kind of change that we're talking about here, but. The, 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 so, okay. the, greater, the greater point is that this this cynicism uh, isn't just uh, a reaction to society. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's a it's a, a reaction to the spectacle. It's like a core functioning yeah. part of the spectacle. So, some people seem to think that cynicism is some kind of resistance to the way things are, and I think when you or the irony is a resistance. Yeah, exactly. Right. Shitposting on Twitter. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, come on, let's be real. Yeah, like, exactly. How, many, how exactly. many young leftists do you know today that yeah. think like Twitter is a form of resistance? Exactly. Yeah. And I think this, you know, this shows um, that that's not true at all. That um, we can't resist this irony, or that's that's how it works. It's like we're again with politics or something. It's like oh, they disappoint us. Well, I guess we have nothing else to do. It's it's. Well, I think, sorry, not to jump across no, you, ahead. but like, I think no, this ahead. actually is a good moment to turn to the question of, you know, the, 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 the Leninist invocation, you know, what is to be done? Um, I think, you know, today we're clearly living in a moment where, uh, you know, the popular take on resistance is to sort of celebrate the everyday event of resistance, the micro resistance, to hold up the spontaneous community reaction, the, 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 the random individual that just suddenly decides to step out on the side of the street and hold up a placard or something, you know? And, you know, all resistance is therefore ipso facto to be celebrated. All resistance is considered good resistance. There's no need anymore to try to, to 
distinguish at a strategic level mm -hmm. the question of good resistance from bad or well-informed resistance from ill-informed resistance. Um, you know, I, I, uh, as much as I love Angela Nagel, uh, uh, you know, I, I think she's done us all a great service with her, with her book, but there is a sort of a sense, I mean, she sort of even heaps to board in with this kind of like Judith Butlerian turn and to the question of performativity. And I just, you know, reading uh, with you guys uh, at this sort of, you know, these, these pieces that you have um, suggested over the last few months, you know, I think it's just it's a very different picture that's emerging here. It's it's not so much a performativity. There are criteria here as yeah. to what counts, even if they are certainly committed to the everyday as a terrain of struggle. Yeah, right. They are not necessarily saying anything goes. Um, so, you know, one of the pieces we looked at recently was from Situationist 8, a piece called Ideologies, Classes and the Domination of Nature. I think it's from like 1963. I, it's, I'll, I'll, quote, I'll read the quote at length, if I may. Um, the revolutionary intelligentsia has now to accomplish an immense task, beginning with an uncompromising departure from the long period during which the sleep of dialectical reason engendered monsters, a period which is now drawing to a close. The new world that must be understood comprises both the continual increase of material powers that have yet to be put to good use and the spontaneous acts of personal opposition engaged in by the people without any conscious perspective. I think we kind of get a sense of, mm -hmm. you know, spontaneous everyday acts of resistance there in, 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 in that sense. So then, in contrast to the old utopianism, they continue, uh, which put forward more or less arbitrary theories that went beyond any possible practice, though not without having had some significant influence, there is now, within the various problematics of modernity, a mass of new practices that are seeking their theory. Right. So, I guess what I want to ask you, you know, having sort of said all that, is I think maybe two points stand out here. First, it's definitely the case that we are still within the fold of dialectical Marxism here. Oh, um, and then secondly, these new powers and spontaneous acts of personal opposition that they're talking about, they're not intrinsically good. We do need to make this next move, and that is finding the theory that will, will sort of bind us and give us a useful direction or an orientation politically. Right. Mm -hmm. Let's take a quick break. But that was a question. Oh, okay. <laughs> you can't take a break right out of her question. Are we gonna? Is that a? So uh, we can't take a break right after a question. That's fine. We're gonna. Are you this, can? We're gonna but... leave this in. We're not gonna edit this out. We're gonna keep this in here. Because... <laughs> I like that. No. Uh, Thanks, Jim. Sure. Yeah. Right. I think. I think this is. This is something that. Are we recording? Sorry. Yeah. Okay. This is something. Uh, this is something that I think is extremely relevant today about the Situationists and their critique. Um, and I and that quote itself is is uh, is kind of spot on when it says like when we say like you know we know that there's there's plenty of uh, you know energy for people to get together and protest right mm -hmm. protest things and uh, and and take these sort of uh, these these sort of uh, I guess uh, activist sort of stances on things right. But but the question is, um, what's that accomplishing for us? What's that? You know how we're not we're not getting closer to really changing the the, the state of things, um, and, uh, and 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 really solving the core of these problems. So what's missing? And I think the the the, the situationists are right on here when they say it's, it's theory, 
and a, and a, a theoretical understanding of. Okay. So this is central to praxis, right? I mean, right. Need, yeah. So we don't have praxis yet. We just have maybe kind of uncoordinated, and I don't. Not, I'm not talking about vertical coordination. I'm just right. talking about like strategic impulse. The people just you know, want to protest. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I think I think there's a few things, and, and this is maybe a distinction about you know the situationists don't think that everything is performative. They they you know will will often critique things that are performative. Um, you know, critique things, critique things that are just sort of image, but they believe that there's some real action that can be taken, mm. and so, you know, that's that's really part of part of their idea of praxis is is, you know, trying to trying to sort of shove reality into people's faces, right? And that doesn't necessarily happen, especially in something like a, a protest that has become a, a thing. It's it's become a thing, you know. Once something sort of become a thing, like right. people get it, and people are like you know, you get your Facebook reminder, and you're like, okay, yeah, from, from yeah. seven to nine today, we're going to go down and <clears throat> protest. And you could, you know, like like we, and it's, it's not to knock protesters or anything, but no, like, no. like after a protest, we can. We can already see, like, if a protest happened in Columbus, like right now. So what? We could we could <laughs> tell you everything that's going to happen there, like within a, within a range. We could tell, we could already we could probably write everything that was written about it. We'd know, like, someone would say, they sh you know, some some internet commenter would be like, they should be working or something. Yeah. But but even on a deeper level, and then you would hear some people would argue about um, who wasn't included or something. Um, who was included, things like this. The, the point is, it's an image we already know. It doesn't even need to happen. We can... we can. It just gets taken up in the circulation. Oh, there were protests. And we already, they got gas. Yeah, yeah. They got, they got the, the spray. The we can already imagine what's going to happen. I think yeah. anytime, anytime you're in a situation where um, you're trying to make change and you can already write the news article before it happened that would work for after it happened, we're dealing with the spectacle. Um, right. We're dealing with with non-reality. Um, we're not certainly inserting ourselves in, into the you know real history of life. And right, they don't have to break up protests anymore. Protests are just in, just folded into the normal mm -hmm. systems of control that we have. Right. Yeah. Like, are you upset about the the way uh, society's organized? Well, here's what you do about it. Yeah. Go down to the courthouse between seven and nine. Mm -hmm. Whatever you know what yeah. I mean. The the point the 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 point is that like any for i think anything that doesn't um doesn't really have this sort of revolutionary character ends up just being co-opted and folded back into mm -hmm. the uh, folded back into the system and 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 does eventually just become this it's just one more thing that people can do to alleviate sort of, sort of this uh this 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 sense of um of of a lack of control, a lack of you know self determination that that they that they're feeling. Well, just we protested, so now we feel much better about ourselves. But it doesn't do anything. In our own way, in our own way, we've um, descended into you know Patty Smith as a default. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Yeah. When, Which is a horrible. When you know, that's an indictment. That's not you know. Let's be honest. That's a really really savage thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> you know, I agree. <laughs> Which is still doing like, dragon Patty Smith. Yeah, exactly. Like, I like Patty Smith, but she definitely comes off bad. And, and right, well, and it's, it's, it's not obviously it's not just Patty Smith. I mean, so many forms of resistance have become so individualized, so performative that. But but when you see the the situationists, what they think of resistance is like uh, this 
this famous uh, graffiti that says like never work right um, right. and you know the situationists don't uh, you know uh, they don't they don't they don't like uh, not respect the value of work or some weird thing like this they just know that at this point whatever work you're going to do isn't going to satisfy you it isn't going to 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 uh, make the difference in your life that it really that really needs to be made it's just going to you know it's gonna be it's gonna produce commodities like right. uh, again like when we were talking about how this has material elements like the reason we work is to produce commodities that, resistance as a commodity that someone will you know sell back to us and and It'll just keep going on. Yeah, it ends that's up. A, that's in, all we do. It ends up in the Columbus Dispatch the next day. Yeah, you know, the, the police, you know, deployed. They they use gas. They mm-hmm. you know whatever. And of course, yeah, right. of course, there's, there's. And that's the kind of really exciting protest that really you know, uh, you know, activists, people on the left, get really excited about. Mm-hmm. Like right. the police were there. You know, it became really tense. There was thousands of people there. It you know, but like, is this real insurrection? It, of course not. No. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think that their idea of what resistance is is very is sort of very different than the sort of you know uh, pound symbol resist thing that we have now. Um, the word is hashtag. Really? <laughs> pound symbol. Pound symbol. <coughs> Charlie. Jesus man, what are you, a caveman? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I want to say too that. That this implies pound symbol resistance. I like that. He took the bait. I love it. <laughs> I, I want to say this is you know these insurrection needs to have com- consequences beyond abstract consequences, beyond how we feel or what's written or or if we yeah, any of the things people talk about right. with these things. Like it, it needs to actually have a consequences, which means it's actually dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I think you. Because it's complacency in a way. Yeah. Right. It's still passive. It's yeah. not. Mm-hmm. So real real insurrection. I mean, we could talk about some of the things that they've sort of, and these these examples are going to be dated. We, um, it's so applicable to the post, well, I, I'm sorry, we I was about talk- to say post-Trump era, but I mean, actually, no, the Trump era. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, well, we can talk about what the word situation is, so situations really meant to them, which is that you're, you're creating situations. And, and, and I think the emphasis, and I think if you read the the now translation it's italicized even which is like uh to create situations mm-hmm. that you're not you're not um you're not just uh taking 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 situations and and responding to them positively or negatively yeah even. it's that you're creating a whole new situation that's that's outside this or at least striving to be outside this this spectacle and uh even even if somehow you're still going to be a part of being co-opted, the, this 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 co-option has to run a maximum risk for the ex, for the exploiters. Like your exploitation may be inevitable, but if it's if if exploiting you is very risky for the exploiters, if tr- if trying to turn what you're doing, uh, folding what you're trying to do into this this sort of spectacular society is very dangerous for them, then then that's the direction you should be going. Exactly, and that's how you invert the the situation or try to where. Now it's very risky for us to actually resist. And I don't right. mean go to a protest, but I mean something like some of the ideas situations talk about are like, um, who are they talking? What was the article? They talked. They like 
gave props to these people who tried to blow up some paintings. Yeah. Um, they were really into stuff like that. They mm-hmm. were they were like, but they weren't like, you know, you, you don't protest outside of the art museum because you, you don't like it or something. It's like you find a way to like destroy one of the paintings. To actually intervene. It, it, it has yeah. real consequences. Um, and so <laughs> you have to invert it where, where again, you take on, of course, take on a lot of risk to do something like that. If you keep pushing it, though, you exactly what Charlie was saying. You need to make the authority have to risk to try and incorporate you into society. It has to be risky for them. So this reminds me of um, the Yes Men, which you may be familiar with. The uh, group that pops up periodically and infamously has sort of like appeared before corporate um, training weekends and things like this to um, tell perspective corporate entrepreneurs or whatever have you um you know about uh you know life capsules that they can now mount into their uh, skyscrapers that allow them to escape in case a plane hits the building or something you know like you know and 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 literally has uh, if i understand correctly um managed periodically to even like change the stock value of various corporations Okay. You know that it, that they have actually kind of like found ways to intervene in the code structure of modern finance, and you know hurt, hit them where it hurts, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. They're not just jokers. They're actually they actually have like their their artistic interventions or what have you. You know, it's obviously it's very theatrical. Yeah. But you know, it has had consequences. So they found ways to convert the spectacle back against itself right which and, and that's the idea that's the performance you can you can have something that's uh, you know in some levels performative but it must have consequences mm. and again this goes back to our original question this is maybe why, not deep consequences in fairness like the yes man I'm just as just an example gotta, right it's you know? a, yeah I mean we all know that, that obviously taking down like neoliberal capitalism is, is going to take a lot of things and you're not going to do it at once and you're going to have to figure out how to do it but you know, they don't have a problem with things that are, are in some ways a performance or anything. And of course, mm-hmm. these people were artists originally in some ways, or many of the situations mm-hmm. were. But to have this stuff without consequences, that's that's when it becomes banal. You know, that's right. that's really the problem. Mm. Um, you must sort of explode everyday life into these situations. Right, with, this, but, but not just for the sake of exploding things or exploding everyday no, life. No. Because the point actually is to re-enable everyday life, mm-hmm. to actually, uh, um, not, to, not to sort of like sound too much like Neo in the Matrix, but like to have people maybe uh, wake up, but, you know, wake up with a view to understanding that they have power, that this um, menu of options that they're being handed uh, by modern capitalism isn't the only menu that's there. There are other unspoken, unlisted uh, options that they can undertake. Absolutely. Um, which actually would uh, bring bring us back to a mode of authenticity. Right, well, I think the the for the situationists, um, real life is always there. I mean, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I mean, for them, for us, whatever. I think that they're not saying that there is no everyday life, and that uh, and that uh, we all we all only experience this spectacle. I think what they're saying is that everyday life is there. It's just incredibly shitty. Like when you think about like everyday life. Um, 
Or even it's boring. Like, right. Like, 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 yeah. like, it doesn't have to be, like, like it, it, and this is an interesting, the, the, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Well, the spectacles, you know, embrace has a lot to do with the fact that we've reduced everyday life to this sort of, uh, like, set of really sort of ter- terrible, completely alienating exercises, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, what's your everyday life? You know, it's like sitting in traffic, you know, to drive to your job. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, alienating conditions that your work is. You know, this is this is your everyday life, um, and, so, you, and you and you may you know, you may try to go to Club Met, and uh, and and get a little relaxation time. But but geez, your vacation is just as stressful as your regular life is uh, at home, right? Because you have to deal with you know all the all these sort of bureaucratic structures and the credit and, card and, debt that comes later. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, right. of course. And, Let's and, be you're, and you're trying to live in this uh, this dream reality of your perfect vacation. Um, but but you can't escape to that because it's not really there. Um, no no let's be let's there's something to be really clear about here. Like no one is suggesting that the desire to have a beautiful moment on a beach is somehow bad. No right. No. The point is that you know you it's, are being offered a proliferating series of options to you know basically serve as a palliative right. to the primary disorder. Right, that they are effectively um, authentic, you know, like ways of of enhancing your life. You know, the the, 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 the you know, I'm thinking, for example, recently I had a conversation with someone who works. Uh, listeners who are not from Columbus may not know this, but Columbus has uh, become home to um, a number of well-known international fashion labels that have in a kind of insurgent fashion um tried to shake up the fashion industry you know the the kind of top shop model of Mm -hmm. of of branding where you know traditionally say the gap has like maybe four or five clothing seasons a year these new labels come in with like maybe like yeah yeah, limited brands right so they come in with like maybe six or maybe even 15 um cycles through the year of of seasons right and um they're very very cheap you know but you, you know in a, in a sense the, the the problem there is that they're they're very very cheap they're they're very very good you know you but you're only going to wear them two or three times right and they're great you know right. but at the same they're not, time they're, garbage, they're actually right they're, the, the whole point. but are they i mean like do you need to wear it more than two or three times i mean that's fine like you know in utopia maybe we have more than 15 but uh, seasons you know yeah. like, no that's not the point but the right. po- the point is that they are not they're they're not helping us advance our humanity the re- no, right. the reason for that is because people like shopping right like that's the reason to have so many seasons it gives you you know the the shopping experience is real you know that's like the reality of that yeah. that's how you actually interface with that I and mean, you know people like that um yeah, we got the. But poly- of course, of course, we see how this, you know, leads to just more and more commodities. And, and the reason that happens is because we have to keep producing commodities. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in in sixty two, the board gave a talk um, for a group of sociologists um, uh, on uh, on cassette tape. He, he <laughs> pre recorded it on cassette tape, and uh, Which we should have done for this uh, yeah. definitely. Yeah. <laughs> We could be listening to ourselves right now instead of doing all this extra talking. Yeah, exactly. But um, uh, it was called "Perspectives uh, for the Conscious for Conscious Changes to Everyday Life." Um, 
it's actually it's actually really interesting and and one of the things he uh he talks about is how is is that like uh you you know in kind of sort of a an echoing of of Marx he says like you know you can't it, uh, you can't uh you can't uh try to study uh everyday life without expecting to change it and when we go to study everyday life it should be a, 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 to understand everyday life it should be about understanding how we can change it and what we can change it and, and opening up this sort of limited view of everyday life up I've got a quote from it here and I, w- I wish I had more uh, because he, he talks about a lot of really interesting stuff in it but but the, but the qu- quote I pulled out is uh, modern society is viewed through the specialized fragments uh, that are virtually incomprehensible and so everyday life, uh, where, where all questions are liable to be uh, posed in a unitary manner, is naturally the domain of ignorance. So, so what, he, what he's kind of saying, the point he's trying to make, is that like, when sociologists go to study everyday life, yeah. they, they want to eliminate out all the things about everyday life that seem really boring and repetitive. Like, uh, you know, I'm a waiter and I fill up this guy's glass over and over again with water. You know, I, I drive I drive to work and it takes me 45 minutes to get there and 45 minutes to get back every day. And the whole time I'm just like sitting in traffic, you know, all these things about every all these things that are that are uh, that, that sort of unify us that are common to our everyday experiences are the things that when people study everyday life, they want to edit out and say, like, well, what's really interesting and unique about everyday life? And I think the the point is is more that our everyday lives are these boring, repetitive, essentially assigned to us practices rather than rather than this sort of flourishing of what of the potential of of uh, all our ideas and everything that we we really want to you know spend our time doing and, and that's really their critique of, of all these sort of intellectual disciplines right like the, yeah specialization uh, specialization right? so, so yeah so you want to when you when you're a sociologist or if you're an economist and you want to study everyday life you're trying to get at this abstraction you're trying mm. to use everyday life to teach you more about this abstraction you're interested in, which often is obviously going to you know, reinforce the existing society. Um, it certainly reinforces the idea that of specialization um, because that's where how you're approaching it. So at that point, you take everyday life and you make it something that it's not. And the way we think of things with these you know, academic disciplines or whatever, we think that that's more real than our actual life. Or sort of we operate like that, and I think that's that's like one of the hearts of, heart of the problem um, that Debord and the other situations are trying to get make people aware of. So, guys, let's stay with uh, situation state for a second. Um, I think there's also a sense in this piece that the remedy for sep- separation is not only a material redistribution of wealth or a project of building or creating material equality, but actually a human mastery. That's what they're really after, a human mastery over social organization. They seem to be anxious about something they refer to frequently in terms of the rise of experts. Uh, But equally, again, it's not just a rejection of modernity or a rejection of complex systems of social organization. There is actually kind of an early iteration here of the hopes and dreams of what we might even call fully automated luxury communism. Um, there's a quote here. I, I want it, to, I'll, I'll cite from it at length. Um, it is impossible to understand the sentence in the Communist Manifesto that says, the bourgeoisie has played an eminently revolutionary role in history if one ignores the possibility opened up to us by the domination of nature of replacing work 
with a new type of free activity. Now, later on in the same piece, they say, the cosmic adventure will be extended. I love this, right? The cosmic adventure will be extended and thus opened up to a participation totally different from that of the specialist guinea pigs. I think they're referring to us. Uh, farther and faster, when the collapse of the miserly reign of specialists on this planet has opened the floodgates of everyone's creativity, a creativity which is presently blocked and repressed, but which is potentially capable of leading to an exponential progress in dealing with all human problems, supplanting the present cumulative growth restricted to an arbitrary sector of industrial production. The old schema of the contradiction between productive forces and production relations should obviously no longer be understood as a short-term death warrant for the capitalist production system. This contradiction should be seen rather as a judgment against the miserable development generated by this self-regulating production in the view of the fantastic potential development that could be based on the present economic infrastructure. So there's this idea here that we have in our midst the possibility, even with these commodities, these machines, these assembly lines, these computer systems that create all these images that we hate and detest nevertheless have this kernel of potential within them if reappropriated well sure i think it's more of a kernel i mean i yeah. think that's the whole point like uh instead of uh, the incited spectacle they talk a lot about the generation of pseudo needs um which is essentially we live in a society that that is driven by creating commodities and you know we we have to sort of we have to we yeah. sort of consume them yeah exactly um, and that's the whole point. It's getting beyond that. I mean, it, it, it's pretty interesting, too, because some of the early situation stuff, I mean, they really threw up some kind of wild ideas about what you could do in a city um, that was run in a different way, even a city that we have now. I mean, they talk about things like uh, um, <laughs> having, I always remember that, having dimmer switches on the uh, streetlights. So... You know that they could be changed to, to people's specifications. They talk about, you know, turning the city of Paris into an area of play where where once the train shuts down, you should be able to walk around the, the train tracks and run everywhere. And like, mm. it, it can seem kind of silly, or it can seem kind of um, unrealistic. But but it's what they're getting at. I mean, I think I think the fact is we have the capability to make this sort of wonderful world for us yeah. all. Yeah. Um, they could be fun and could be playful, and and they talk a lot about being playful, and they, um, you know, mean that in a specific way that we're talking about. But that's the problem, you know. That's that's the problem that we're not doing this, and we have we don't even have a sense of the way to get there. Yeah, right. Exactly. We don't, we don't exactly. even know. We don't even know how to fight for that. Yeah. But I think it's also because we are emotionally subsumed within the sense of the short-term survival that they're talking about there. Uh, you know, the, yeah. the, we are subsumed, our, our aspirations are subsumed within this short-termism. Uh, I mean, let's face it, you know, even Marx recognized this, that, mm -hmm. that it can be in the interest of the working class to work against its longer-term interests mm -hmm. in the short term. In the short term, sure. Um, you know, the, and and, and the, the, these are very forgivable mistakes. You know, he, he talks very much. Well, I forgive uh, myself for Well, Vanishon talks a lot about the difference between uh, survival and, and life. Yeah. As being sort of opposed to each other within society. Mm -hmm. I think this is exactly what he's talking about. So, well, he, right. he's, 
using the term survival to refer to oh this augmented survival this augmented survival this uh, this sorry that's fulfilling a, of, of pseudo needs things right. like that yeah sorry that augmented survival is a specific term that. Uh, the board uses in society. Yeah. yeah, and I've also seen him use the term augmented privation. Yeah. Which is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> you know? He's a brilliant guy. <laughs> augmented priva- privation is, uh, you know, entirely capturing for me. Like, it, it really captures this notion of an understandable human calculus where we, of course, want to consume widget blah 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 yeah, you know fidget spinner yeah mm-hmm. exactly you know and 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 again not to say that that is in itself a bad thing but we could have so much more I, i'm fine with saying fidget spinner is a bad thing in and of itself <laughs> you are <laughs> definitely remember they tried to remember they yeah, also yeah. tried to play that office like a like almost semi-medical like device right. Like a like a mental health device. Like, yeah, like this are you really are good? Your, just are your kids stupid? Yeah. Get this fidget spinner. Um, so so that's, yeah, that's it. And even that, they couldn't even let the fidget spinner just be for play. Right, right, right exactly. They had to they had to make it into a mental health device or something. Like this is exactly exactly what the board's talking about. It has to uh, be adding value. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and what he's really getting at is like, in our society now, we can't help but do that. We're going to try every mm. specialization. It's going to take everything and try and make it useful to their specialization and then try and sell it back to everyone else. Right. And, and that both drives producing more of these things and also uses the things we're producing that like you know the the use value is sort of tried to they try and like slather it on afterwards yeah yeah the, you know the situations aren't concerned about this this old uh this old-fashioned idea that like uh oh yeah if you give people everything they need you know to survive they're not going to want to work they're not going to want to do anything they're just going to be lazy right yeah <laughs> you know uh, of course, because like uh, you know, because pacifying everyone is a huge part of how our society mm-hmm. functions, right? Uh, it seems like if we d- if we weren't forced to get up and go to work every day, we wouldn't do anything at all. Of course, mm-hmm. that's obviously a completely ridiculous idea, uh, and the and the fact that it's a considered such a, a effective argument uh, in some circles is kind of sad. Um, because I think it doesn't take much thinking to realize that how untrue it is. Unless um, you, it, it depends how you, you know, view other people too, right? Like that's what makes that ideal world is you're like, right, yeah. you know, I you, work hard. If you think you work hard and everyone else is lazy. Everyone of course, else is real lazy. That becomes one of your major fears. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> but um, but uh, as far as uh, fully automated luxury communism, I don't think that for a second any of these guys uh, – Men, 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 women, uh, ever for a second thought that we couldn't meet that under under a, some sort of new organ, new social organization that we still could that somehow society would come to a halt and we wouldn't be able to meet our needs. The idea that we don't already have everything we need to remake society in this sort of uh, self managing way uh, that that idea never occur to them it seems it, it seems obvious it's implied in, in it's all impl- the writings that you've, but you can obvi- see it's obvious that we that we are so productive that we can make so much more that we need and you can see this of course like we're just building up giant piles of garbage all around us because we make so much extra crap that we don't need but you can also see maybe in um that kind of 
assessment or commentary that these guys are going to get in trouble a little bit with environmentalists. You of know, course, that, yeah. That yeah. They're, they're not necessarily opposed to consumption at the end of the day. No, right? I don't What think they're so. opposed to is the, that we're not producing in a way that's democratically determined by, by the proletariat so sure are we gonna are we gonna bring up the bookshim video yeah do it like, go, uh, go for it okay uh well i don't know i think jim i think jim well, tells I, the story a little better than i do i, I mean the the part i always just remember is how angry he is about them and that it seems that they made fun of him a lot about uh, his ecology and they kept calling it zoology which he says and right they were just kind of like ripping on him so he comes up with this you know idea that they're not interested in something like that they don't care about the environment or something, um, which I don't think that's really the case. They, they I, mean, I, do, I mean, I think maybe they don't care necessarily in the same way that Bookchin does. No, but. certainly not. Well, so the uh, the ecological problem is 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 kind of really directly related to overproduction, right? Yeah, I, I think that would be a, exactly right. I mean, so, so it, I mean, if you're actually looking at things like use value, if if, right, if, if, we're, if, we're if the commodity so. is remade to to reflect use value, things like that. I mean, the, you you could imagine all the things, less garbage. You you also would imagine if the environment is breaking down and sort of destroying your everyday life, that that would be an obvious thing. That that if you sort of like left the separation, you would care about. Now I am remembering uh, Van Scheim in, in uh, Movement of the Free Spirit talks about the sort of confusion people have with nature and he he relates that into a he's talking a lot about the medieval sense in early society but you know he's saying that you know once nature becomes outside of you it's just another specialization mm-hmm. um, and thus it's going to become another commodity. Right. Um, in a situationist viewpoint you would lose that um, Things will be looked at more holistically, right? And, and let's not forget that the you know the the working class is uh, is against this kind this this kind of like environmental uh, degradation and pollution because they they're the ones that live in the center of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, we hide a lot of it in the ocean or wherever we hide it, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's it's working people that have to deal with the results of mm-hmm. uh, pollution and stuff. To a much larger degree than the than the owners and people that mm-hmm. that are sort of on the top in society, so I, I think to to say that uh, after the revolution, if the people uh, will care or won't care at the about the environment is kind of a, a, a sort of dragging the prejudices and social organizations of today into the future. Mm-hmm. If you can see a unity between your immediate needs and your long term needs then all of a sudden these environmental questions become a lot easier to answer for people, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What is the real cost of pollution? And the, that's also, I think they would they would argue that these pseudo-needs, the, the short-term survival that you're always forced mm-hmm. to deal with, is really the reason we can't deal with things like environmental right. issues. It's a material blockage as mm-hmm. opposed to some kind of like uh, psychological distraction. Yeah. Again, right, it always comes back to this, which is why I think, you know, again, that New York Times piece that we were talking about from 2017, it completely misinterprets... Absolutely. Uh, do, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, like, sure. Because I think I think that's a kind you, of you said that, you said that that piece came out. You once said that this piece came out around about the time you guys were really starting this journey. Yeah, or maybe sort of in the middle of it. But okay. we were certainly reading a lot of the board at the time. So it was funny the New York Times article came out, and I I thought that that article was interesting because 
And I actually reread it recently. And I'll they, have a, I'll have a link to this piece in the show notes so that people can go and check it out. We for don't themselves. really need to show people that are. <laughs> it's not very good. Uh, it's a. Uh, yeah, All right. They, uh, they uh, you know, um, and I remember they did, they did make a mention of how, you know, like we talked about earlier, this isn't just about media or something like that. But then they seem to completely ignore that throughout the whole right. rest of the piece. It was very much of like, you know. They talk about the society of the spectacle, like Trump's a spectacle. Huh? Trump's a spectacle, right? and, and the spectacle like, started in January. Yeah, right, exactly. Right, and then right. their answer is is local politics. Yeah, you know, which is like he, he specifically said that's not the answer. Like, um, but Charlie, you had, you had some points about that that were really interesting. You know, of course, it's it's not that surprising that that uh, local politics seems like the best answer to all these problems, right? Because you you can clearly see how how a- abstract um, your relationship is to sort of uh, state power. So so definitely on the local level, you feel like okay, well you know, the media is not involved in our local politics, right? Like this isn't like a Twitter thing. It's not on Facebook. I can go door to door in my neighborhood, my local area, and can and actually meet people face to face and talk to them. Um, so so this of course seems like the real answer, but you're still inside this. Local politics is so forced with the same sort of questions and stuff, right? Like, it's about, like, you're not outside the spectacle, it's just you're talking about your neighbors about, like, zoning or something. Yeah, what are you going to make, a utopia in 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 the in one part of Columbus, Ohio? Yeah, yeah. What, you know, come on. Yeah. Like, that's silly. And, and, yeah, especially, like, yeah, again, that article is just, it's so misguided, right? Right. And you almost get that feeling that they think, like, you know, there's that specter of sort of Bernie Sanders around it or something, and, like... They're like thinking like, oh, we'll just have local pro- progressives can can get up now or something like, which again, that's not even a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But to try and connect that with a society the spectacle is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's the opposite, right? So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, wrong well, as an you know, opposite. In yeah. in uh, in uh, in in um, now the SI, which is in issue nine, now the SI is almost like a. Like a, a a reassessment, like a, a manifesto that they they sort of wrote uh, in the mid '60s to kind of cl- try to clarify their positions on all these mm-hmm. kind of things because um, I, I think they felt which I, I, when I read this stuff I feel like they're 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 pretty consistent but I think they felt like they were kind of a little then all over the place so they wanted to clarify so that so DeBoard wrote this mm-hmm. one of the things he says in it is. You know, all really modern, non-revolutionary ventures must now be reorganized, uh, recognized as our number one enemy, because mm. uh, they're going to reinforce the existing controls. So, I mean, for him, local, national, international, and obviously they're thinking internationally. They're called the situationist international, but mm-hmm. um, but but for them, this the, the real question isn't like what's the context you're trying to work within it's like are you are are your ideas revolutionary are you really trying to change the basic you know the basic social organization economic organization that 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 uh that leads to the rise of this sort of spectacular you know non-life that we that we're all sort of like subsumed by yeah which again is almost like an ontological level like so you you have to You need, like, a radical break. Yeah, you need a radical break. Well, that's it for part one, folks. Um, Thanks for joining us. Uh, Appreciate your company this last hour or so. Uh, 
we're looking forward to getting back to you next week with part two of our episode on situationism. Uh, tell your friends about us. And if you want to keep in touch, you can always reach out to us uh, on Twitter at Occupy IR Theory. See you next week. Take care.